the British are coming. The British are coming. The British are coming. <laughs> Calling all beans, y'all. Let's get it. Yes! Welcome back to Calling All Beings. Yeah! I'm first of all, let me apologize to everybody that we don't have the whole cabbie crew here. StreamYard has a limitation. We can only have 10 people on screen. Um, so we couldn't have all the cabbies here. Uh, they I think Deb's gonna be in the chat and the chat with you guys. I'm not sure about Kevin. Uh, he may be in the chat, but uh, welcome to Calling All Beings. I'm your host, DJ. That is my man, Money Nathan, here for a very special episode known as the British Invasion. Nathan, I uh, I've tried to hide as much of the things as I can. I knew that they were coming, but I don't think I'm prepared. <laughs> uh, it's going to be a blast. We're, I, it's going to be a blast. We're not prepared for what these people have to offer. They're smart. They're witty. They're cool. They look cool. They sound cool, and they have great takes on UFOs. So uh, we're extremely lucky. So with that, I'm going to intro people in alphabetical order. Um, I thought that was the smart way to do it. So let Love me it. get my Beatles crew up. Yes. Beginning with somebody who has, uh, she has provided music for virtually every member of cab, uh, much to our delight. And, and, uh, we, we feel very indebted to, to her. Uh, this young lady, uh, is, is very big on the end UAP. She's a, I guess you would say an end UAP secrecy advocate. She is a musician. She is a music teacher. She's from Lincolnshire and she is an airsoft warrior who, if she can, she'd prefer to shoot you in the face mask in order to score. Uh, so with that, uh, she uh, is representing the Pride and Prejudice, Lizzie Bennett, today. So please welcome Charlotte the Thunderbird! Woo! There's that beautiful lady. Thank you. What's up, Charlotte? Hey, how's it going, guys? Good, good to see you. That was a big build-up. So you, th <laughs> you thought you might be rid of us after, you know, that initial time you were on for the holiday, but you see you're not rid of us yeah, yet, right? Yeah, good, good. So, you know, you're my people. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, and you're our people. So uh, let's bring on the next person. Uh, this gentleman right here is playing the role of Mr. Bingley in Pride and Prejudice. So hopefully he knows who he is. He is the founder, editor-in-chief of Liberation Times, baby. Get up on that and support it. Okay, he's a senior contributing journalist at uh, the Daily Mail. He's based in London. He's a father. He's cool as hell, and we absolutely have fallen in love with Mr. Christopher Sharp, baby. I, Christopher, I hope you can identify with Mr. Bingley to some degree. Um, I forget who Mr. Bingley was. <laughs> Pride <laughs> and Prejudice. Come on, <laughs> Christopher. I will. I'll do. Re I'll do read aheads with you next time before we have you on. I'm more uh, Jane Eyre than Jane Austen. I'm sorry, guys. Um, I'll read up now. <laughs> it's all good, man. It's all good. Welcome We're very happy you're here. Cheers. Uh, hopefully you Cheers. have a, a handy drink there. Uh, our next uh, guest here that's going <laughs> to participate as part of the Beatles is uh, this gentleman is playing the role of Mr. Darcy, of course. So, yeah, you better smile, Smith. <laughs> 
He is from Manchester. He is a regular caller and emailer to that UFO podcast uh, that is hosted by Andy and Dan. Please put your hands together for the witty, the curmudgeonly, and the erstwhile Mr. Dave Smethers. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Yes, that's great, lads. Now, I used to speak like Chris, you know, but after I watched Game of Thrones, I adopted uh, <laughs> this accent, really. So, actually, I'm very erudite, and I went to Cambridge, but no, 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 of course not. Yeah, well, I, I, I didn't want to put my shirt on, you know, and because uh, I was going to have it dripping like Mr. Darcy coming out of the pond, but I didn't, want to, I didn't want to set you all off, you know, so... <laughs> Well, that, that. Yeah. yeah, it's a family it's show very, after all. Yeah, so. That's very kind of you, Dave. And um, I couldn't wait to have you on, man. And uh, you're just a blast. I, I don't think we're going out of school here to say that you're probably a front runner for coolest accent uh, as voted by the Brits and the Americans. We'll have that vote at the end. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> so anyway, our next uh, person right here uh, is uh, this gentleman is also a musician. He is, uh, like Charlotte, is spreading the gift of music throughout the UK. Uh, he's been part of a professional touring band. Um, and, and, and he's the host of uh, the UFO Thinker podcast. He's brought a sense of sort of level-headedness and consideration to the UAP discussion and somebody whom I admire. He is part of Extended Cab Fam. You might see an episode of his come out on cab here very shortly. Put your hands together for the UFO Thinker. Frank! Woo! Bolton's own, baby! <laughs> Taking this invasion pretty seriously. I've got my flag That's amazing. As well, you should be. Be. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, see, I, I'm representing for both sides here, man. I, 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 got, I got the British and the American represented. Thank you, Frank. It's an honor to have you. I got to speak with you 24 hours ago, and it was awesome. It was fun, wasn't it? Yeah. Cheers, was, DJ. Man. Cheers, brother. I wish I had a beer right now. But with these <laughs> all these medications I'm on, probably not. Uh, <laughs> uh, last but not least, this man is an actor, a businessman, an experiencer, father, and a gentleman who's become beloved and connected with uh, people from all over the world to uh, heal himself and heal them. So please uh, welcome Maxie McCabe. Hey! <laughs> yeah. Nice to see you. Nice to, to see you Max. again. Hey, hey, my friend. Hey, everybody. How are you? It's good to have you back. So that is your fifth Beatle. We didn't want to leave Peter Best out. Uh, uh, we wanted to recognize him, and, and I, I thought we did that. We have Ringo Starr just up. If you look up to the right, uh, your, to your right, Max, you have uh, Ringo. Yeah, that's Ringo Starr up there. But <laughs> Oh, Frank. So anyway, all right. So we're gonna do our roundtable business. Uh, be be succinct uh, as you can, uh, but uh, you know, be full in your explanation. But try not to reiterate because time is of the essence. And uh, I guess we could just go. Uh, what do you want to do, Nathan? You want to start with Charlotte and just I go around? I think so. I think we have to. Yeah. Okay, Charlotte. Uh, if you would go ahead with your topic for consideration by your brothers and sisters here. Hmm. Well, I still haven't decided. <laughs> um, I'll go with my um, random one. Mm -hmm. Don't underestimate how rubbish governments actually are. Mm -hmm. That's my opening statement. Okay. Um, if you want me to carry on, <laughs> or just check it out if it's rubbish. That's fantastic. Um, okay. No, no, it's good. Should I give you some bullets? Absolutely. Yeah. Give us okay. basically what your topic that you want them to discuss. Okay. So. Um, 
considering a lot of people wonder if maybe people in the government, in particularly I'm talking about the US, are maybe lying about things, I would like people to discuss whether it's possible, given how local governments, certainly in my experience, are a bit rubbish, um, whether it's possible they're just really rubbish and there's not much cover-up, it's just they don't know because they're a bit slack, sloppy, ineffective, there's a lot of annual leave, sick leave, people aren't assigned to one task, it's given to someone else who's already busy, all that kind of thing. Or is it worth bearing so you in mind? Do you feel like that's led, is, has that led to obfuscation, you think, inadvertently? I think partly. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I'm not saying it's okay. an explanation for everything, but maybe it's um, something to bear in mind or you know, can help us think about, you know, because you think, oh, they're perfect, they know everything, and then what? But do they? Mr. Sh Mr. Sharp. Um, my my talking point is, will... No, you, you, you're going to consider her point, oh. so ah. that's going to go around, ah. then you're going to get yours. I'm guessing yeah. you guys, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, um, right. on her point, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, yes, that's correct. Um, I think in the UK, for instance, the Afghanistan debacle with the Foreign Office whereby people were trying to get out and no one was actually in the office or answering emails from the foreign office. So that led to people's emails being ignored and stuff and requests to get out of the country. They could, um, <laughs> they could, okay, I might have to come back. Go All to right. Next All right, we'll go to, okay. We'll go on to um, Mr. Smethers. Uh, Dave, do you, do you find anything uh, in that, that 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 you want to comment on well, as far as... Uh... I mean, the only thing I would say argues against it, they've been consistently rubbish for uh, 75 years, haven't they? So it's fairly hard to be rubbish and yet consistent, I would say. So I think they are pretty rubbish, but they tend to get a lot better when it comes to covering their own backsides mm -hmm. and generally planning. So I think uh, our governments, are, they're not very well coordinated, but when they need to coalesce around something but they do tend to become a lot better and we've i mean of all the last performance at the hearings which i'm going to judge in a minute would argue against them being much better so i think they're slow moving they're not very good but they can pull themselves together around a name and this is so important this topic they seem to have managed their level of competence they don't normally manage but i do think they are a bit overestimated so i agree with you there charlotte definitely frank my brother yeah, I think it's quite an interesting point, really, because they are, you know, not the best a lot of the time in terms of organisation and being able to actually get everybody on the same page. And, and if they are indeed covering something up, which is, you know, a, a huge thing like this, and they have a track record of not necessarily always being very good at, at getting everyone on the same page, how have they managed to cover things up for so long? But then again, I suppose on the other hand, you could say that that is actually could be an explanation for why there has been various leaks and so many people are getting frustrated from the inside. So that's kind of my little bit of both sides of the argument there, there I think. And, and you could sort of use that concept to, to think of it a couple of different ways. Frank, you could have just said like Sammy Hagar, I see both sides now. <laughs> if you don't know that song. Okay. <laughs> Christopher Sharp. Um, yeah, so, so on that point, um, yeah, so um, governments are very, very uncoordinated and um, big bureaucracies are complex and because of that, it's easy to take advantage of them, um, the complexity and lack of communication. So I think you can find things within that. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Sorry. It's okay, man. It's all right. It's no big thing, man. You, gotta, we, uh, you know, Nathan has kids. I'm sure he's been through this. 
Uh, <laughs> you got to take care of your business. Frank has children. I uh, love it. I love it. That, that's actually what the uh, the British uh, uh, ministry looks like. It's a live example. Of this. <laughs> yeah, we're yeah, in chain. We're in session. That's he's a totally real invasion. Been turned, aren't he? It's a real invasion. Exactly. It's a think, it's a meta invasion. I think <laughs> the child is demonstrating party gate there for you. He's reenacting it. <laughs> this is Boris in the meeting. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, go ahead Maxie. That's, that's that's true, Charlotte. Um, yeah, no, I think it's pretty obvious if we look back throughout history. There are many cases where government do know a lot. They know a lot more than we do, certainly. The question is, it's a wordplay game. When people say the government, we're talking about uh, if it was a private organization, it's it would be run a lot better, smoother, less disjointed. Um, governments are huge, huge number of people, de compartmentalized, departmented. And so you're going to have a lot of problems with sharing of information regardless especially because in the ways that this stuff could be investigated, they're going to be classifying things by default, especially as we all know, because of the way that they collect that data, sensors, you know, high-end technology that's often in the hands of the military, they're not going to share it for those reasons. It's, it's very unfortunate. But I would say that, yeah, you're looking at, it's not just black and white, it's going to be gray you're probably looking at potentially intentional um, cover-ups alongside uh, a lack of information in the hands of the people that are doing the talking to the public. And so it's a, it's very, it's a very gray area. I'm absolutely convinced personally. Um, if you look at, I don't know, take one example, Kecksburg, you know, that acorn object that came down and you have, the entire local township, right, that talked about the military moving in. And if you look at some of the accounts of the people there, they were threatened to keep quiet. Now, if you believe just one out of 10 people, then they're not lying. Um, it wouldn't be a surprise. So, of course, these things are kept under wraps. They're kept undercover. They don't want to share it with, you know, Russia or adversaries. So I can understand to a degree some of it, but it's so frustrating. I wish they would just share the information with the public and try and declassify much, much of it within reason. That is great analysis, Max. We're going to, Nathan, we'll get a check out to Max on uh, Tuesday after the holiday. Uh, great job. Yes. <laughs> Checks in the mail. Yeah, great job. Uh, so we're going to, we're going to uh, go linear here but because you guys are lined up and we'll try to stick with what we got here. And if not, we'll go back to alphabet. But uh, Frank, my brother, what is your topic, man? Yeah, so um, Dr. Bernard Hayes has uh, stated publicly that sources have told him that there are at least four programs related to crash retrieval and reverse engineering of UFO craft. And Jeremy Corbell has also said the same thing. And given Jeremy's own source network and how closely he works with George and App, that's pretty significant in my book. Ross Coltart has also reported on these reverse engineering programs and has heard this directly from high-level individuals such as Nat Kovitz, who... Ross describes as the Navy's chief boffin. And when you add to that the Wilson notes, especially how they were mentioned in these recent hearings, and more and more people have come out and endorsed those documents since that, to cut a long story short, it's looking more and more like these programs do exist. 
probably in close cooperation with private aerospace and defense companies. So my question is, first of all, do you think these programs do exist? And if so, what is the extent of what they've actually been able to get hold of and do? Okay, now, if you want uh, to, Nathan, to avoid getting disjointed, the alphabetical part of this is, um, it would be Charlotte first, then Christopher, then Dave, then Frank. So, or excuse me, then uh, Max. So let's go with, let's do that so we don't get all all uh, disjointed here. And Charlotte, please react to that first. Yeah, I think on the whole sort of like issue of crash retrievals and metamaterials or, or whatever's being tested, it, I've gone from kind of thinking, no, just to the amount of evidence and documents and then hearing like, you know, Gary Nolan talk about it quite down to earth saying it's just a matter of testing things and we don't even know if they're anything weird or not but now I'm the same as you Frank I think I just think there's a lot more to this and clearly there's something so is there some stuff in hidden away in you know eg and g or whatever maybe you know and maybe it's not as clandestine as we're not letting you have it I don't know who knows but it does seem like there's something to it I think now yeah definitely it's changed me around I'd be willing to bet a significant amount of money that there is in a one-on-one -on -one bet with with anyone, I'd, I'd I would I would if I had to wager and I knew that I mm -hmm. could get a definitive answer, I'd put a significant amount of money on that. Uh, Christopher, so we'll go back to our order. Christopher, what say you, sir, regarding crash retrieval programs? If you heard Frank's, uh, <laughs> that's fine. I mean, I wasn't fully convinced of um, the Wilson Davis memo before, to be fair, but now it's being confirmed to me by sources that. It does seem to be legit, and that's been a major surprise to me. I mean, um, <laughs> yes, my boy. <laughs> um, obviously, NASIC are in the picture now as well. As per um, the IAA, they're going to get involved in the effort, and there have been rumours for a long time that the crash retrievals have gone down to Wright Patterson and been studied by NASIC as well, which I think really, really interesting. Uh, and then going back to 1933 United here. Kingdom. Yes, the United Kingdom. <laughs> so the Italian craft of 1933 was apparently taken to NASIC after the war. And I find that really interesting. Hopefully we can go back to that historic stuff as well. Yeah. Come on. So, so that's <laughs> what Lou was talking about when he said we got craft from the Italians. I didn't, or yeah. material from the Italians. I didn't know that the, the, the genesis of that, but it was Correct, 1933. Yeah. Wow. Correct. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Okay, uh, next on the list to react to that will be Dave Smethurst. Yeah, I think uh, there's loads of programs, actually. I think there's been a lot going on uh, post-war. I think there's two sets of programs, actually. I think there's a core group of Indonos who've been running programs, I think, from the DOE and private industry, running them right through, a lot of weapons, propulsion. And I also think there's another set of programs from the other armed forces who are sort of one of those who don't, can't quite get into the action, but know quite a bit, and they'd run their own programs. And I think if you look at ATIP and all that, that was an example of one of those, actually setting up a program to find out what the in the nose do know, as it were. I know that's a lot of no's in that sentence. Right. But, that's, that, but I do think that I think there's a lot of programs been going on. They don't all necessarily know about each other, but I think there's one set where they had the sort of core ones we hear, and there's other sets that have maybe been set up more randomly. And so if you listen to Car to Carbell speak, he says at least four. But the implication in what he says is maybe 20, maybe more. So I think we make a mistake in this topic to, if we don't see the actual conflict going on behind the scenes between these sort of warring factions. 
And that's where disclosure sort of sits in that crucible, really. So I think there's a lot of uh, competition going on. Some people not turn each other. We've got this compartmentalization. And there's probably a lot of duplication going on as well. So it, it's definitely the history of the topic when we look back on it, when it, we do get to know, will be around conflict and uh, all these sort of shadow games. And we've seen the biggest one now with Lou, who seems to be winning the arm wrestling competition with his faction against. Uh, the Gary Reeds of this world and his lot. That's my view. And so I think there's loads of them going on. In, That's you know. I agree. That's really in- sure. interesting take. I think Lou got hints of some of them. I don't know if he knows all of them. Uh, I don't, I don't have any idea how many there is, but, that's a, that's a very interesting take. I have see, to agree. DJ, I think Lou is trying to desperately get into the DOE stuff. That's what him and Chris haven't been sure. able to crack. Sure. And that Absolutely. seems to be their target, you know. Yeah, they said it on podcast. They they even mm. laid out program numbers and uh, and title different title fifty programs. So no doubt. Uh, let's go to Max uh, with that to tackle that, sir. I think that. Um, Again, in the same way that it's been compartmentalized, the the people it is very, very. I mean, we're really hit, hitting the nail on the head. It's been fragmented. It's been um, people have have made sure whether this is real or perceived that only small pockets of individuals have deeper knowledge and access. So just looking at the bigger picture, over decades and decades, we have far too many cases of, again, even around the world, not just in the, um, in the US, in the UK, in Australia, everywhere, where once something very, um, once a UAP situation occurs, let's say, that military types turn up, often the US are involved in that, whether it's the Westall uh, Primary School incident, where there were British, Brazil, yeah, mm. um, and so there's definitely been a, a, a cover up of some sorts. And if there's any, if there is any ejector, as Jacques Vallée called it, if there are any crashed parts retrieved, let's say, then it makes sense that they would be put into private organisations for one good reason, if not many. One of those being Freedom of Information Act. As far as my understanding goes. As soon as it goes into private domain, a private organization, it's not you're not able to FOIA information on that, right? So that's very convenient, isn't it? I think there's a, there's other ways. Classification alone would would obscure it from FOIA. So there's that a lot of people think that that oh that means it's at Lockheed or it means it's there. You can just classify something and you could FOIA it. Yeah, you've heard someone say that the other day. You could FOIA it until you're dead. You're never going to get that information. That's not it's it's uh, I've said this at, at length. It's putting it in the most secure location that's buried between many layers of security so that nobody can get at it. And the best way to do that is to have it at a facility that is extremely difficult to get to. And some of the civilian facilities are much easier to get to than some of the DOD facilities that mm-hmm. notwithstanding, I, I think they may have pieces and parts of things. But I, if there's whole things, I think those things are um, are probably in facilities uh, like you've heard about that are underground and all these other things. Anyway, uh, let's move on to Christopher Sharp with his topic for the rest of you to consider. Thank you very much. Um, So my topic to consider is international disclosure and collaborative efforts with the likes of China, 
and Russia and getting the Five Eyes involved as well. Um, so there's two aspects to this. Um, there's the National Defense Authorization Act te text, which states that America must coordinate with allies and partners, which would probably include the UK and whatnot, um, but also the United Nations aspect as well, um, with what's being done with Project Titan. From my understanding, that is currently being delayed due to the conflict situation um, with the Ukraine. Um, but I'd love your thoughts in regard to what happened with Project Titan and coordination with allies such as the UK in the upcoming six months, let's say. If somebody doesn't know Project Titan, just go over that real quick. Okay, sure. So um, it's ICE, an organization named ISA has set that up. Um, the, 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 core, the core of which was um, founded in China um, three years ago. Um, and what they're doing um, together with a, 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 the CUN, which is an Italian UFO organization, is they've gone to San Marino and they're trying to get San Marino put on the table of the UN, um, uh, a, a, some conferences basically, um, uh, which would be um, make the San Marino, like the Geneva of the UFO world, would mm -hmm. have these kind of big kind of um, meetings between countries and stuff to discuss unidentified aerial phenomena. All right. So basically what you're asking them to consider is the effect that international cooperation to include countries that are considered, you know, not friendly uh, to, to either the U.S. and what effect that might have on disclosure and proliferation of information to the public. Is that basically what you're asking? Correct. But also, actually, I'd like to add to that as well. Will it bring the world together? Will it make the world a more peaceful place and change the diplomatic composition, let's say? This is heavy lifting, Charlotte. This is like asking you to write Strawberry Fields all over again. <laughs> Uh-oh, you're on mute. You're on mute, sweetheart. Sorry. There you go. You're back. You're back. Yeah, I knew, and I, I knew that Titan was to do with the San Marino stuff. That's kind of about where I sit with my knowledge with all this. But yeah, I think it's so hard to see people sharing information because of weapons race stuff. But then like you've all said earlier, you know, it's all very compartmentalized. So somebody who's working on stuff to do with weapons or testing materials is probably very separate to the people who are going out and trying to build links. So I really don't know. It's it's so hard to understand, especially from the UK, where last we heard they were saying it's a weather phenomenon we don't really understand, but we're going to do nothing about. So how are they going to get on board with this? You know, I can only think of the UK at the moment. You know, not I, I think other countries are much more open and maybe they'll get on board and it'll help us. But for the UK part, I just, oh, it's really hard to imagine them going, oh, okay, let's, yeah, let's look at something weird, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I love I love the idea of it. I must say I got something for Christopher on background that I'll talk to him about after the show. But um, but yeah, uh, I I think this is a brilliant idea uh, to to get those if if they could create a network that's apart from the other Cipernet, JWix, Giant, all these other networks where they could share that information. There's no mm -hmm. telling what what you might be able to get out of that. But uh, to yeah. consider that next, would look be, at space. Uh, right. 
Uh, and did you, I didn't want mean to cut you off. Did you have anything further? Okay. No, no, no. I just thought, you know, that space is one thing that we've worked on and maybe that can happen, but it's the only thing we seem to have managed to do it, do any good with. Great example. Great example. It's, um, Dave. Yeah. I think it's one of the most incongruous areas. This it's like the piece that doesn't fit, isn't it? This international stuff. You can see how they could get disclosure or you find it out. But when you go international, we've all got the dream of everybody coming together, you know, the sort of Reagan dream, oh, another threat, and we'll all come together. But there's a lot of serious issues with Russia and China, very despotic regimes, anti-democratic. There seems to be that sort of thing going on without getting too political. But do we want to share stuff with them? How is it going to happen? It seems that the American government might not come in. I mean, I think the five eyes are coming. They've got to say, quite right, sir, and we'll get along right along with that program now. We haven't told anybody, but now you've said, we'll say as well. So I don't think there'll be a problem from the British point of view. We'll just say, quite right, and carry on, you know. But uh, <laughs> uh, are you, really? Oh, yes, you did mention that. But uh, yeah, anyway, but I think when it comes down to Chinese and Russian stuff, it's a, it's a lot tricky. And the question is, would it take disclosure to breed international cooperation uh, rather than the other way around. It might not happen before, but it might happen afterwards. And I think it's a big argument against Liberal Isandor being some deep cover government agent, but he's really pushed the international agenda and really gone for it strongly. Uh, and it, it isn't really a government position, and it's certainly, I wouldn't have thought, the American security services would have loved that position. Yet he's pushed it because he wants it. So I think that's quite a... To me, that was a big validation of Lou. Not that I needed one, but and it's a very, very tricky area, and I, I don't think there's been enough thought about how it, how it would work and whether we would indeed want to work with Russia or China. Uh, I'd certainly have some serious doubts about that, and I'm not particularly on the hawkish side, but you know. So yeah, I think it's uh, quite incongruous in the genesis. A lot of it's easy in UFOs in terms of where things sit. This is very, very difficult and slippery. Hey, Frank, if, if you look real closely, can you see George Harrison when you look at Dave? Can it, can it, <laughs> maybe just a little bit. Okay. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so what's your, what's your thoughts, sir? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an interesting, uh, topic in general, really with the international cooperation thing. Cause obviously here in the UK that, you know, the government has basically just said, there's nothing to see here for, for quite a long time now, since pretty much the last 20 years, and um, the Condine report and things like that, that there was no national security concerns and that was basically the end of the matter, you know. But it, it's something that I've been thinking about quite a lot as to how our government here in the UK are actually going to react to the fact that the American government are now openly admitting that there is a national security risk involved with this and, you know, even potentially a risk to commercial flights as well and things like that. It is going to kind of you know the at least the the public face inside of things in terms of the UK government's uh, attitude on all this is going to be kind of dragged kicking and screaming to uh, catch up with the the Americans but i think also behind the scenes as well there probably is already um you know strengthening of the cooperation on this on this issue and in my opinion they're probably not being open with the public about the extent of what they've been doing you know for a while in terms of uh, collaborating with the the americans and the australians and things <laughs> like that um but yeah it, it sort of makes me think whether or not they're going to have to admit certain things and be more forthcoming with the public now but there's not really many signs of that either at the same time i, I wrote a letter to my mp uh, about three months ago 
saying exactly this. Um, you know, that like, all right, your your attitude is that there's no national security concerns. How do you feel about the fact that um, the American government, our, our closest ally the, with the special relationship that we have is is directly contradicting the official line of the, of the UK government, you know? So it's uh, quite tricky from that point of view. And uh, like, like Dave said as well, with the, the tensions at the moment with, you know, Russia, China and, and that kind of thing, you have to think that the wider international cooperation is going to be quite tricky at the moment but you would i would like to think just to put a little positive end to it that you know as charlotte said we have collaborated on the space station and things like that in the past so you would hope that with something this serious that the more you know it moves along that there might be some collaboration even with adversarial nations as well I love it. This positive feeling at the end of the song. When are you and Charlotte <laughs> going to jam together? That's all I want to know. <laughs> She'll bring got to finish on a. You got to finish on a positive note, haven't you? I you know? love it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. The J.R.R. Tolkien of uh, of UAP Media. Uh, uh, so next, uh, Max. Uh, last but not least on this topic, it's Max. If we, mean, didn't, we didn't get you yet, right? No. Uh, no, not yet. But um. Yes, sir. We've got a double-edged sword, don't we? The biggest problem, the biggest roadblock is just the way that human humans have progressed even after everything we've been through over the millennia, right? We're still tribal. We're still, we draw imaginary lines in the sands and say, this is a country, our country, and you can't cross that border. And we're one race. We're human beings on one planet, on a rock floating through space. And I just cannot for the life of me, understand some people's mentality is just far too tribal, tribal instinct still. We need to start looking at it more of a, we're all human beings. We may speak different languages. We have different skin tones. Who cares? We're just humans. So it's, it's, the, class, it's the classic problem of we still have tyrants running nations. And until, until everybody's reading from the same song sheet, the same hymn page, until we get everybody to collaborate with one objective in mind instead of being separated, imaginary separation all the time. Um, classification itself has a purpose, but it comes from a position of somewhat paranoia a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. you, can't, you can't please all of the people all the time. You're, gonna, you're always going to have some bad apples that want to harm other people. I get that. So you have, you have to... You have to classify, you have to protect your people. Okay. But let's just put it this way. All of the data that's out there from geospatial organizations, from NASA, you've got all of these sensors that absolutely must have information that would prove one way or the other that these things are coming in from deep space into our atmosphere. The data exists. There's no question. But... We need, we're not going to get them to share it because it's under classification. So if people do have an international effort to, to share information, all they're going to share is their own unclassified uh, evidence, um, unfortunately. So again, the biggest roadblock is classification. I see it has a purpose. I get that. But it's unfortunately the one thing that stops us collaborating properly and solving this quicker. Can you imagine if just for one day... Hey. Hey, Max, we mm. got to be succinct. We don't have that much time left, so you got to get yeah. your... Yeah. And here's the other thing. 
He said, you got to end the song happy. Remember? Yeah. Frank just taught you how to write a song. Right, right. There's no charge. There's no charge for that. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the whole world should come together and declassify everything all at once and just be open. Don't worry about paranoid stuff. Don't worry about the bad guys. Let's just share everything, and then everybody can get the answers we've all been waiting for. Oh, and uh, and nobody gets charged if they come forward with information. Uh, yeah, and I, th- I think you made a great a great point there because there uh, uh, there is there are certain types of like geospatial intelligence. They're not going to share that imagery, but but there still is a lot of room for other other types of information that would breed the relationship that Chris is looking for that would bring a, t- a sense of togetherness while still maintaining certain, um, certain, uh, priorities that are, that are separate from the rest. Thank- oh, we got a couple uh, come together right now. <laughs> There's Debs and Laura Sosa. All right. So, uh, now it is Mr. Smethers. Again, we got to be, uh, be succinct and what are you trying to say, DJ? I'm what saying, say, say. <laughs> hurry up, <laughs> hurry up, Matt. Got hurry up. Hey, now, now, calm down. <laughs> no, I'll give you a dirty way. No, I shall enunciate a little clear of you, DJ. Uh, yeah, basically, uh, if you imagine you've got old Bray and what is it, Mulray, they've done the snow job. They've gone, we'll just from any old thing, tell them we don't know anything. Just refers to the UAP thing. Oh, yeah, just tell them out the June report. Yeah, they'll fall for that. No problem. Anyway, they come out an hour later. Senator Gillibrand throws a chair out of one of the windows, apparently, according to Lou. So she comes out hopping mad with uh, Rubio. And they say, right, how are we going to nail these people to the floor? And this is what I do to do. And I see what you guys think. I would insist on a brief person from each organization mentioning the amendment to testify on the info they have in their department. So that might be 17 people. Then I call the head of AOIMSG and answer on staff numbers identify structure and functions, what liaison links they've established and they're planning, what are the scientific and recovery functions they've set up, what work have they done to date, what's the action plan for the next 12 months, and what's the plan to deliver on the past info you haven't disclosed, which was very clear there. Mm-hmm. I'd ask them, uh, what are the structure and contents of the report going to be in October? Uh, I'd insist on public and closed sessions. Obviously, I'd look at immunity, and if I got no answers, I'd call Alexander Mellon and Davis. That's a bit of a facetious one at the end. The point is, that's how I'd nail them down, those, those things I've just said. Ask the 17 people, get brief people, and then get their head and answer, because that was the thing they didn't do in the last hearings. They didn't really, they got some great stuff, but they didn't really scrutinize them, which was the big critique, really. So I wonder what everybody, what would they do, or what did they think of that, or... What do they think might happen next? I suppose you can answer it any way you want, really. Miss Charlotte. Oh. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I'm struggling to understand the question. There was about five in there, wasn't that? It was really good. So, like, about testifying, immunity, all that kind of thing, yeah. Sum, yeah, sum it up, Dave. <laughs> yeah, basically, it, it, if, you, if you wanted to do the next... Uh, if you wanted to roll the feet to the fire next time, yeah. So what approach would you take generally? How would you go? Would you go in hard or would you do the same thing? Or what would you do? I mean, I've been very specific there, but it's just. I, th- I think um, I like what I've seen already of the Congress people just sort of saying, you know, no, no, but answer it, answer it. Can that be put on the record? Mm. I think that's really encouraging a start. And I think just not letting them off the hook and keeping on with it at them and, 
keeping getting Ronald Moultrie in and <laughs> come on, where's the info? Where's the info? And putting pressure so that then he has to put pressure on below him, you know, to get the answers, you know, just try and keep asking them. And I think, yeah, and people in the public trying to, you know, contact their Congress people and their MPs and whoever, because then they realise this is something I'm going to get elected on or not, maybe. I don't know if that's a realistic thing, mm. but, you know, I just think, yeah, what they're doing in America, just hold the feet to the fire, you know, make them squirm and try and get them to talk more and more and just try and sort of, you know, reassure them at the same time that, you you know, you can tell us stuff, you know, we're not going to fall apart. But, yeah, don't know. I. I love that. I love that. It, it's it's because uh, there's a lot of people that I speak with in the community that say what you say. What are you afraid of? Tell me. Yeah. You know, I mean, everybody on this panel is like that. You know, it's yeah. like no, no matter what you've discovered, I'm ready for it. <clears throat> and other people, yeah. they would absolutely go out and buy ten truckloads mm -hmm. of toilet paper. And uh, they can't even can't even be um, honest about what they're being dishonest about. You know, like can we not talk about that because that is some of our secret projects. You know, just give us that even or something. It's just like just they seem to be just in this culture of lying for mm -hmm. the sake of it. Yeah, and uh, I, I, that's a great, great answer on your part. Who is next? Uh, it is Mr. Sharp. <laughs> Hi there. Um, um, so apologies, you break the seat here. Had to take my sons here. Sorry. Um, um, so what I would do, I would go to the legacy program straight away and call Lou up to testify really really put the pressure full on bypass AOM ISG for now um and go straight for Wilson Davis memo um get Lou speak out that will that will create global headlines and put immense pressure on the DOD and it will have no option then to to actually um participate with you know with what Congress is trying to do um, so that's how you do it. You blow this wide open, basically, from the historic stuff and the legacy programs. When you're doing that as well, you actually prove that there have been obfuscation efforts and it's been hidden by Congress. Congress will go over it, basically. And yeah, there'll be there'll be a lot of pressure put on DOD to actually cooperate. So that's what I think should happen. And uh, yeah, we'll have to see. I love it, man. Great. Uh... Great job. And next is uh, Mr. Smethurst, right? No, it's Frank. Oh, no, it was his. Oh, it's Frank. Sorry. Frank, my brother. Here I am. Um, yeah, so I, I think there's kind of two, you know, areas that will, that will, but I'm going to be keeping an eye on anyway, that, that are kind of emerging. I think the uh, the first one is the, the current efforts that are underway with the AYMSG or whatever it ends up being renamed as, as you know, as we go along. And I think that was kind of what I was mostly expecting to hear asked about, where are they up to, what have they done so far, and all this kind of thing. And I think probably that's what Bray and Moultrie were probably expecting to get asked about as well. But actually, the other area that ended up coming out was the the more historic things and the wider aspects of the the ufo topic which it's quite clear that the people in uh, the congressional committee they were they were very interested in that wider picture and i think it's going to be fascinating to see how both of those things i'd like to just see more in-depth questions more follow-up questions on both of those things you know like like chris just said the some of the historic things with the wilson memo and malmstrom air force base and things like that those could be absolutely massive stories and if we if we do get more kind of digging into those it could be blow the whole thing wide open and at the same time keep the pressure on with what they're currently doing with this new 
UAP office and where they're up to, what they've done so far. I think we just need to focus on both of those areas. I, I tried to get Lou to yuck it up with me and talk, and uh, I would be Moultrie, and he'd be the other guy, and we'd say, and we'd say, uh, Maelstrom, nuclear, <laughs> nuclear missiles. I have you heard that, <laughs> Nathan? Have you heard anything about nuclear missiles in '67? What are we talking about? Nah, I, not yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right. That is that we could made a Saturday Night Live skit. He could be David Spade. I'd be uh, what's the other guy's name? Chris, the fat guy. I could have been him, and we could have pulled that off. I mean, that was the dumbest thing. Well, I I'm, I I've heard it unofficially, but not that like that tears away at your credibility. It's so absurd. That you could say you haven't heard of that when there's obviously very official records that I'm sure they're privy to on that. Anyway, uh, who's next? So uh, is that the last Max. one or we have Maxi? Max! Go ahead, Max. Brevity. Be succinct. Yes, I believe <clears throat> what I would do is definitely offer amnesty. As Gary P. Nolan had suggested, uh, amnesty over any other protective wording that say, and a definite must is we bring on Camille Vasquez and all of Johnny Depp's team of lawyers. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> smash them with the cross-examinations. They wouldn't last five minutes. That's my suggestion. I was thinking Amnesty International, Boomtown Raps, Bob Geldof, the whole thing, right? <laughs> anyway, yeah. yeah, that's what's up, Charlotte. <laughs> okay. All right, uh, Frank, your topic, please, sir. And uh, again, uh, brevity. Uh, I think he actually went. He went before when we swapped him uh, out with oh, Chris. He did. Okay, so it's uh, Max has the last topic, then, right? Yeah. Okay, Max, go for it, brother. Um, I didn't actually. I didn't know we had topics, so I'm just going to say the one thing that bothers me the most, and ask this question of the panel, if you don't mind. What do you think the connection is between what we call paranormal and UFOs? Why do so many people after an interaction have poltergeists and everything else happen to them? And Great even question. before the, uh, the encounter, let's say. Charlotte. I found my mute button now. Yeah! <laughs> $500 mic, but I don't know how to mute. I know, I know, I know. That's totally me all over, yeah. Um, yeah, it's an interesting one. I was reviewing that um, the UFO sightings that I did the report on last year that I was talking to you about on the chat um, about maybe as a, as a topic. And um, out of all four, I could only find out information about three of them and every single person had already seen stuff before. And one guy actually said, I keep seeing these objects again and again. So it just kind of reminded me that a lot of people do see these things once you've seen one. You know, I have yet to have that although i've seen a ghost and then didn't see other ghosts so maybe that's part of the same thing we don't know do we but yeah it's a really interesting thing isn't it it's clearly you know it's just not what we thought it's not like alien ufo crafts in the sky and that's it is it it's clearly something more to it and i think that's so intriguing you know whether it's part of our consciousness or something else or you know it's just so hard it's so out of our realm of normal stuff isn't it to get as well but really fascinating so yeah I, I don't know what to make of all that I just think it's really cool that all these things could be part of the same thing as with all nature you know Nathan's big on this one man he's he's <laughs> he's chomping at the bit right now uh and next is Mr. Sharp please 
So I'm going to go really, really woo on you guys now. Um, so, so firstly, I think there's big technological and scientific leaps to make in terms of um, quantum theory, which we don't fully understand, things like spooky action at distance. And I think once we master all that stuff, the paranormal may become normal. Um, but also, I would say, my, my theory personally is that... Um, UAP is a bit of everything, and I think there's an ultra-terrestrial aspect to it, hence why these things are seen coming out of the ocean. Um, Dave did a brilliant um, article on my um, website about it in terms of crypto-terrestrials, for example. Um, but perhaps we're kind of like, that they're quite indifferent to us, let's say, and that we're being used by, um, by let's say, these crypto-ultra-terrestrials. And there's another kind of like species, let's say, um, that's kind of um, responsible, let's say, for a lot of these paranormal experiences and these poltergeist experiences and stuff that feed off negative energy. And that, uh, yeah, we're, we're kind of like cannon fodder <laughs> used by something else. Um, that's just totally rude. That's me going out there, uh, not informed by any sources at all. So um, take that with a pinch of salt, but that's my own personal theory. <laughs> Well, that thing, the Deborah Gorgon from Stranger Things, is that part of it? I'm just kidding. It's not, anyway, you haven't seen Stranger Things? I watched Bobby it this weekend. I didn't oh. get any sleep. I, oh, I my didn't God. Get <laughs> scared the hell out of me. Spooky right, season. It. It's totally bad. All right. Uh, let's bring in Mr. S uh, Smethers, please. Uh, yeah. We were a bit, I presume we're running a bit short of time, so we won't go too yeah. old, too long. I won't get into the old crypto terrestrial things, but I think there's two splits basically. Uh, first one is that the UFOs uh, have obviously got some kind of tech associated with consciousness and the manipulation of matter, maybe using consciousness. And there's a whole that old slide nine thing going on with UFOs in this, what our reality is, obviously can manipulate stuff. So there's that going on. And I think a lot of the phenomena at Skinwalker and all that are all linked and potentially part of the same sort of tech and what's happening there. I mean, there's a whole thing about that. So I think there's that. So an advanced, whatever they are, unknown civ, who can manipulate reality and the tech uses that. But on the other hand, there's also layers of sort of reality as well above our own. You take a DMT trip, and not that I do that, but or something like that, where, <laughs> you, know, I'm just saying, you know, just in case of doubt, but where you meet these entities and there's all the other side of it where maybe we have this reality on top of our reality where we have these creatures coming into our reality. So I think you might have two hits rather than one. You've got technological manipulation using consciousness and that sort of thing, like Chris was implying. And you've also got this sort of realm of realities that are about consciousness but don't really cross over but occasionally do. So I think you're dealing with these two things. And that's why uh, someone like Whitley Stryber sounds so weird because uh, I can't follow him a lot of the time, but he goes into both these areas and he sort of mixes them up and he sort of blows our minds, really. But so that's that's what I think. That was a really good question, that, Max, and a really tricky one, I think. Nathan, Slide send, nine. send that man a 50% off Tesco coupon, <laughs> please. You got uh, it. <laughs> or Waitrose, wherever he shops. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, and... Let's see. That's everybody. Or no, did Frank. we miss Frank? Yeah, yeah the UFO thinker. Yeah. Well, yeah. Pretty intense one that, um, and yeah. very did 
very difficult to just sum up in a, like a, a very short. We'll probably do like a couple of hours podcast on that uh, alone. Yes, but I, I think it's um, the the whatever's going on with UFOs probably has a lot of different aspects, uh, some kind of quantum realm outside of our normal perception, like a super spectrum type of idea. And um, it's like um, Gary Nolan and, and a few other people have said that it's a bit like a switch or like using a muscle that you didn't know you had. And you can have like a really shocking experience when you first, you know, witness something, experience something. And then that opens up the actual ability to be able to do that more going forward. And just uh, quickly as well, I know we're short on time, but um, uh, Max was saying about uh, how you can sometimes have these things happen, like strange paranormal things happen before you have that shocking experience. And again, this is pretty out there, but sort of like um i've heard it described where big events can actually have like send ripples through time forward and backwards in time and there may be an element of consciousness that can actually pick up on that the impact of that event before it happens and that perhaps is linked somehow to some of these strange experiences paranormal events and things that can actually come before an experience and then also after so yeah hope that makes sense in the short time i've got but that's my thoughts on it now you know what ufo thinker everybody uh check it out uh, that's one of the reasons why uh <laughs> all right stuff. i think right yeah <laughs> this is great man thank you brother um all right so i think that's it for the beatles right yeah ever, you, ever... you guys i mean knocked it out of the park uh the we stones are probably quaking in their boots or loafers whatever <laughs> they wear i don't know uh, but great job and great to have all of you with us today. So, uh, and please stick around, uh, you know, and maybe not everybody in the stream yard, but if you get a chance to stick around in the chat, uh, that'd be awesome to uh, show these guys some support. Who has the coolest accent uh, of the oh. group? Who's voting Recording? on that? Uh, they, they, they are, and then us. Got it. Not me. <laughs> Everybody's tapping out. Come on. Chris. Chris. Definitely yeah. has the coolest accent out of us. Like. Yeah, Chris is the best accent and Man. the most oh, proper. Agreed. Yeah. Smethers. Yeah. Yeah. Ain't that right? You ain't right, Chris. <laughs> ain't that right? Oh, blimey, you, you're having a laugh. Oh, blimey, Governor. Chris, up here. Chris, you have the coolest accent of the Beatles, man. Congratulations, sir. Yeah. Uh, thank thank you. you for being awesome. <laughs> Love you. Uh, we do have a stand-in uh, to come in for Anna Witty because apparently Anna Witty, so Davy Johnston is in. So nice. those of you who haven't met him and heard him, uh, I was able to get him while uh, Frank was uh, was talking earlier. So thank you very much, Beatles. Yeah. Thank you, Love guys. you guys. And thank um, you. we'll talk Love to you, you later. Peace. Yeah, Davy Johnston. I love it. <laughs> oh, wait, there we go. The Rolling Stones. Yeah. All right. We're going to intro all of you guys. We're going to take a five, a quick bathroom break. We're going to come back. For those of you that are in the chat, we're going to take a quick five and come back. And we have Davy standing. We're the only thing we're waiting on is Dan, right? We're yeah, he was here Dan. a second ago in our chat. So he'll jump yeah. back in. Okay. Okay. So, uh, Let's take five, and we'll see you guys shortly. Davey, for you, all you have to come up with is one topic for the group to consider, and then we'll go roundtable, and you'll react to the to the topics of the other members of the Stones, and they'll react to your topic. That looked like you had a beer there, so I'm really excited about that. 
All right. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> All right. Definitely a beer. All right. We'll be right back on yeah, Calling cool. All Beings. Hey guys, uh, I'm back. Uh, those guys are on break. Uh, Nathan is going to take over the hosting duties, and all you have to worry about is some probably very inane commentary from me in between. Uh, <laughs> but other than that, you're going to get a more sober, intellectual, and more focused individual. It's going to be Nathan, fine. My brother. So, uh, cheers, everybody, to the Rolling Stones. Yes. And- <laughs> All right. Well, we, I think they're all here. When if you want to do those intros, then we'll we'll bring all them on. All right, and we'll get, baby. We'll get let's here. get it going. Yes. Ha. All right. So, um, I'd like to. Well, I I got to change it up now because I have mm. I have Davy. So I'm going mm. to introduce this gentleman as uh, he is a uh, competitive cyclist over there. He has just gotten his yoga teaching certificate, so he is a stone cold yogi. Uh, like myself, who I hope to be able to practice with when I come over in the UK uh, to the UK. He's very passionate about the topic, as we all are. This amazing topic that has brought us all together uh, from from different parts of not only the UK uh, but the US, and uh, now we've become friends because we love the phenomenon. So uh, please let me introduce to you, Mr. David Johnston. Hey everybody! Thank you, Davey. Welcome, Davey. Hey, no problem. Just to let you know that we- um, ten minutes ago, when I got your message, DJ, I was in the bath. So <laughs> <laughs> at least you're clean. And we needed a Yorkshire. We needed a Yorkshire accent. <laughs> Vinny would have requested that anyway. So, uh, so we got that. Uh, Fabulous. So uh, now, uh, so for the next person from the kingdom of Wales, uh, this gentleman is uh, playing the role of Mary Bennett. Uh, <laughs> 
in our Pride and Prejudice. He's he's serious. He's overplaying those concertos. Uh, but he is uh, the host of his new show, Coloring Outside the Lines. Uh, a lot of people are very, very jazzed uh, about this new show for good reason. Dan has become uh, pretty famous uh, uh, as a result of being on that UFO podcast as co-host with Andy Chillen with McGrillin. We have three members of uh, UAP Media UK here. So party people, put them hands together. For, I tell you, I took us three times to get this brother on the show. Put him together for Dan Zetterstrom, the signal. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, Dan. Thank you for, for having me and for inviting me. Third, third time lucky is the charm. That's right. Um, I was going to pretend to be on mute there and just give you guys a little something, but uh, no, I didn't do it. I, uh, yeah. I love it. The sense of humor. You're you know, bringing it already. There's plenty man. of show left for that to happen too. So. Awesome. Yeah. It's the first and I, I, and I hope there's nothing uh, stupid that I do that makes it the last time you come on uh, because it took, it took me a year to get you the first time, but no, it's, it's wonderful to have no, you, Dan, all kidding aside. I really appreciate it. Uh, and uh, let's see, who do we have next? Alphabetically speaking, uh, this gentleman right here uh, is the Uhtred of Bebenberg of, of this, this, this particular episode right here. <laughs> he is from the Kingdom of Northumbria. Uh, he is an author, UFOs Before Roswell, and his latest book called uh, UF, uh, what is it called? Flying Saucer Fever, Aerial Encounters, 1950-1952. It just came out. Uh, this man is a total gentleman. He does have a little bit of snark. Uh, he did get into it, and he wrestled with Nathan a little bit about the Jacques Vallée and uh, and uh, what's that other woman's name? Uh, <laughs> I can't remember <laughs> that book, the Jacques Vallée book. It was wonderful oh, pa to watch. Paula Harris, was that? Yeah, Paula Harris. Paula Harris, yeah. Harris yeah, thank yeah, you Trinity, very much. Yeah. So, party people, put your hands together for the return of Mr. Graham. Randall! Yaritz, how yes. you doing? <laughs> Yaritz? The Rolling Stones! <laughs> Watching you, Graham. I'm, I'm going I'm to drop the, I'm gonna drop the, ac the accents because so everybody will need subtitles if I keep speaking Geordie through this. <laughs> is, that a, is that a Geordie accent that you have? Uh, it will be like, you know. <laughs> I love it. You, I love you it. there, like, hey? Uh, how do we how do we in shape, man? How do we close caption this real quick? I love it, Graham. Thank you so much for doing an accent for me. I owe you for this. Seriously, I owe you. You're welcome, uh, you're welcome DJ. <laughs> Thank you. Um, our next guest, uh, next member of the Rolling Stones, uh, is uh, actually yeah. Uh, this man is playing the villainous Mister Wickham, the mm. double dealing Mister Wickham, who is working behind Mister Darcy's back, hunting down girls with money. He is. The William Shakespeare of UFO Twitter. Okay, he is also a member of the UFO uh, UAP Media UK, and professional skateboarder, researcher, writer, podcaster, and his show from the time he started has absolutely blown up. He has had on the who's who in in all of the the UFO topic, including he done. Got Elizondo for us, baby. So put your hands together for my brother, who I talk to on a weekly basis, much to his chagrin, Vinny Adams. Yes. <laughs> good to be here, man. Thank you, DJ. Good to see you, Nathan. Davey, good, good to, to meet you, man. And, uh, and my fellow colleagues here as well. I've never met you before. 
<laughs> Thank you, Mr. We're not going to ask how much you guys were cuddling when it was cold down there in Columbia at night. Time to air the I'll just say Vinny was the little spoon. That's. <laughs> Hey, I'm I'm sitting in the middle of these guys. I'm beginning to worry. Yeah, sweating it out there. Okay, I'm t- so everybody say hi to Davey. Does anybody not know Davey Johnston? We've not met, but nope. really good to no. meet you, man. But nice one day you. we'll one day we'll go skating together, Vinny. So that's my oh, background absolutely. as well. So there we are. Nice, amazing. Yeah, yeah. He's a professor. I, I guess you were a cyclist oh, of note, uh, mountain cyclist and road cyclist as well. Yeah, a bit of everything of off road, a bit of on road. All sorts of silly stuff, but before that, I was a skateboarder as well. So, I love it. I'm so honored to have you guys here. I'm going to turn this over to Nathan. I'm going to shut the hell up, except for some (laughs) ridiculous commentary in between. All right. So, I think you guys saw a little bit of the last session with the Beatles. We're going to go around, everybody gets a topic, and then everybody gets a chance to respond to that. We're going to try our best to go into alphabetical order uh, with the topics and responses. So, with that being said, let's get started. We're going to start with Dan. Dan, I'll put you up here kick us off hey hey okay so i have a a number of different topics i'm gonna start with discussing if birds are real i think (laughs) (laughs) all right that's enough from uh, dan zetterstrom Uh, good to see everybody Uh, (laughs) i didn't know dan was gonna bring the comedy baby (laughs) so i i thought we'd start with we we saw some new footage this week and there's been a lot of debate over whether that footage even showed anything anomalous. But the, the point I'd like to bring in is whether one bit of footage is, is going to be enough to tip this anyway, or whether we're kind of, we should be looking at a preponderance of, of evidence throughout the history of the subject instead of looking to one video that, that may or may not be in front of us. So I wanted everyone to kind of chime in on whether they think, you know, we've heard about a 23 minute video, for example, that shows, you know, these craft in some detail. Would that solve the debate at all if we were to be able to, you know, even if it had windows and we could see occupants, some some people might say that it's CG or something like that. And I, I personally think that any bit of footage that could be brought out would just, it would be torn apart on, on social media as, as happens. So I'd like to hear what you guys think of that. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Dan. All right, Davey, uh, let's, let's get you... Let's get you up here. Sorry, I had to move that comment to get him on. There we go. No problem. I don't think any single video, recording, photograph, body part, lump of metal would ever be enough. (laughs) There is always going to be somebody who goes, nah, it's made up, it's faked, it's a film set, it's a hoax. We've got people now who don't believe that John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Well, no, he was. And we have people who don't believe we've been to the moon. So, no, it needs more than that. But that build-up of information shifts the weight of opinion across everybody until eventually you reach that critical mass where it stops even being a question of is this real or not. It just is another part of the world we live in. Love that. Yeah, there's this sort of momentum that has to take place for, I think, enough public opinion to shift. That's a, that's a great insight there. All right, Graham, let's get your take on it. Yeah, you're always going to have people who think things are fake. Um, you can fake anything nowadays. The deep fakes that are out there, even just putting my my head or uh, my face on on the head of uh, Charlie Watts, you know, it's po- it's possible, isn't it? So any, any, anything's doable. So 
and they're not the people who you're going to have to try and convince anyway, because they're always going to believe that it's all um, on a soundstage somewhere, or it's made up on a computer, or it's just lies. I mean, look, the Russians at the moment, you know, all the stuff they're coming out with about, you know, oh, there's no war crimes, we're not, we're not really invading, you know, we're looking at Nazis and all the rest of it. People can, if the lie's big enough, you know, you, you can just sell it on uh, to anybody and people will believe it. Um, not everybody, but enough people will. The people who we have to try and change their minds are the people who either aren't interested at the moment for whatever reason, or are sort of floating, you know, just waiting for developments. They've got a passing interest, but that's all it is. And something that actually will grab their attention, like this 23-minute video, this legend, this legendary video, if it is as good as people say it is, then that might be the thing that actually does get a lot of people on board. And we get to that tipping point where it's then only a matter of time when things do actually start developing and start being announced. Because if you get that ground shit and that, that ground swell of opinion to say, look, you know, there's something going on, we want to know more, and people start approaching their politicians in sufficient number like they do on other issues, then you might get some movement. Love that. Yeah, I, th I think too, just if I could jump in, uh, I think that there's got to be enough credible people surrounding the release of whatever it is you know so it's got to come from uh, a, a, a government source the provenance has to be very clear it's got to have folks who have seen it back up what, what whatever that happens to be official people not just within the government but within our scientific community that would be my take is that you've got enough of a kind of uh, panel of individuals that have credibility in the larger public sphere for the rest of the world to go, okay, I guess this is this is it. This is this is real. Public opinion says that most people already do believe there's something there, but I think that you know that extra bit of legitimacy has to you know sort of come from a lot of different folks with credentials. Um, all right, let's see, Vinny, what's your take? Yeah, man, I think like let's keep with the 23 minute video. If we were to see that video, then we have to assume that because it's from a military source that we're going to see. Or not necessarily, but we'll know that there is uh, multiple sensor systems that have also picked that object up. So if we get that along with the the video, then we're in a different discussion, you know, because it's not just a video. If it leaks, that's a different story because we might not then get the systems. But we're talking about sources and methods here. So it's hard to say. There's two ways that can go. But then you've got to think about if the video did drop as a leak as a standalone. Yes, there'd be a lot of uh, people, a lot of naysayers. But at the same time, it will kind of push the conversation forward. And it might just force the hand of certain people, whether it be within military branches or within in the intelligence community. You know, it will keep the ball moving forward. But I like to think that, you know, we'll get that extra sensor system because it's all about the data. I'm, I'm talking about what I want to see. I want to see the data that comes with it. You know, the videos are, are great. We all want videos, but mm -hmm. data is where the, you know, the meat and potatoes are. Absolutely. DJ, did you want to jump in on this too? Yeah, I, I actually, I, people don't really source me as somebody from aviation, but I do come from an aviation background. And I, I spoke with Chris Lato right after the, the video and just to compare notes because I saw something that I thought was anomalous because of the acceleration, deceleration, the 360 degree turn. That's just not possible with an aircraft. You'd stall if you change speeds in terms of decelerating at that level. And I, I thought it was anomalous straight away. I, I know Mick West threw out there. Well, what if it wasn't a thousand feet away? What if it was 500, all that kind of stuff. Um, just changing speeds that quickly positions is just not something that that uh, aircraft can do and 
there's other things I could get into with the orb and the, uh, but I'm not going to do that. But I thought that was anomalous when I, when I saw it. Love it. Excellent. All right. Great. First uh, discussion there. So Davey, I'm going to give it to you to, to offer up your topic. Can, can I just say that, that oh, sure. in, in, in summary that we basically just argued that it's not worth paying attention to, to MidQuest. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, the, God, the important thing here is absolutely that, that People need to understand what they're looking at. And, and I think when we're looking at FLIR and we're looking at these multi-sensor systems that we're not experts of, we need to listen to people like DJ and to people like Chris who use these things on a daily basis. Um, and to bring it back to, because we're, you know, we're the Stones and it's the UK thing, uh, there, there was a, a kind of slogan a few years back uh, that, that became popular from the uh, conservatives here. And that was that uh, people had had enough of experts. And just just so you you know where the UK is with this, if we were to put a bunch of experts up, people wouldn't listen to them. <laughs> Former professor at the Naval Academy. Uh, his name is Tom something. He's on Twitter. He wrote a book called The Death of Expertise, which mm-hmm. I thought was very funny. Excellent. All right, Davey. Perfect. So my question is two part. We hear stories of how over the years, this thing that we're talking about has changed shape, changed form. We get different pieces of evidence. So we go back to the airships. We go back to the Space Brothers. We go back to the greys and the abduction phenomenon. We talk about landing traces. And it seems to evolve. So my question is, first of all, do we think that there is an evolution of the phenomenon? And if so, what's driving that? We got another Tesco coupon to send out. Excellent. So far, we got Dan, we got Vinny, we got Grant. We got, we're we got the coupons four, here. This is yeah, fantastic. Four, four coupons. All right, I'm gonna get get it uh, get it back to you, Dan, for first take on this. Yeah, man, for sure. I genuinely was on mute then. Uh, <laughs> I saw that. There was like <laughs> yeah, silence there. Um, yeah, I I, th- I think that's <clears throat> it's really interesting seeing that it's changed form. And just uh, I'm gonna speculate here. But I, I think if there was if there was kind of a control system that was there to kind of coax us forward uh, using a kind of engine of innovation or technology, then it makes sense to me that that control system, as we developed, it would change along with us to kind of give us the next strip feed of paradigm shifts. So even, even though, I mean, you know, I can't, I can't prove that, that that's what's happening. But I feel like on one side of the coin, it could be a, a singularity drawing it, us towards it in the future, um, you know, re- reaching back across kind of timey-wimey uh, uh, ways. But on the other hand, we could be looking at just a lot of different, uh, I guess, species would be the, the word. Um, or if we're looking at time travelers, you know, kind of time tourists, they could be coming from different points in the future. It's really interesting that they kind of change in shape for that reason. And and this is where the consciousness connection comes into it as to whether they change in shape based on the person that's perceiving them. I, I think it's really interesting that even though we, we we put a lot of religious connotations onto these experiences, but I wonder if those that religious kind of framework that those people have to view the event through influences the actual event itself who's those people when you say that uh witnesses experiences okay okay yeah yeah that's all you can do you can only look at it as a human you don't have another way to look at it yeah and and a human nathan talks about this at length 
that what what we're a product of. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Great. Great answer. Man. Stones are totally bringing it. Maybe it's just a case of what people perceive things as and they're more comfortable in terms of describing. So, you know, if you go back to ancient times and the alleged reports of fl um, flaming shields, uh, that's what people would uh, would sort of perceive things to be shield like because they were familiar with those things. Equally, the airships of the 1890s, again, that was that they were known that these things were being developed. They weren't as good as the ones that were being seen and reported in America, but they were still around. It was still a concept that was known. And then you look at the ghost aircraft of the 20s and the 30s, again, it's the same sort of thing. Even though these things were flying in snowstorms and in fog, you know, t um, con weather conditions that no self-respecting pilot at the time would be seen dead in, let alone alive in. Um, you know, they, they, they would actually they were seen and they were they were um, firing searchlights down at the ground in, um, but yet they were familiar if slightly removed. Now you then get a bit further on and you get the Foo Fighters, then you get to the the flying discs, and I think it get, it, it just seems to go, jump in terms of the distance between what was perceived and what was the reality. Um, on, on the ground in terms of our technology, in terms of you know, mankind's technology. And I think I'm not entirely sure why that kind of jump ap appeared, because rather than having things which are much much more familiar, then you've got things which, which are quite outlandish. So you've got the balls of light um, in terms of the Foo Fighters and the other associated things that were seen. And then you have the flying discs in 47 onwards, but then you get black triangles. And, you know, d yes, okay, People have experimented with delta-winged aircraft over the years, but not to that degree of you know being able to hover motionless um, over a Scottish <laughs> valley for silently. You know, uh, yeah, for for ten minutes. Um, there's Vinny's. Uh, there's a there's a nod to Vinny there of a diamond-shaped craft hovering over the Scottish Highlands for um, for ten minutes, then shooting off into the into the ether. So um, you know, there seems to be a. a Yes, okay, to a certain point, I think I'll agree with Davey that there's a kind of familiarity to it. And and, and Dan's saying about, um, you know, that, that might be a kind of yeah, pointness in the right direction. But somewhere along the line, that program's gone awry. And I think things are leapt ahead too much. So now we're seeing things that, um, you know, defy explanation um, in terms of people's experiences. Whereas at one time it was, yes, okay, they're just a few hours, maybe a few years ahead of our development. Uh, but I don't, I'm not sure you can say the same thing now. Amazing, man. You guys are absolutely killing it. And you know, Graham, I, I have the benefit of having grown up in Hudson Valley. And now that this topic ah. is open for people to talk about, and I actually have a high school podcast that probably you guys don't know about, but I just started a couple of months ago. And it's me and my high school classmates. And now six or seven or eight of them have opened up about triangular or boomerang shaped craft that they didn't know the other person saw either over Indian Point or just crossing the boundaries of our school district. Blows me away. I mean, so it, you know, they're all saying the same thing, but it, it's a, it was a great question anyway. So uh, yeah, I'm sorry to turn it back to you, Nathan. No, that's great. Yeah, let's hear from Vinny. Uh, David, that's a great question as well, talking about the way shapes have changed and evolved over time. And I think it's a bit, we're a bit generalizing here because we have had things like triangle sightings way back before the kind of triangle era of the 80s and 90s. But I do kind of agree with the kind of thing that, that Dan said is that it evolves as we evolve with the way that we are technologically with the airships in the late 1800s, early 1900s, moving through into the saucer era and the pop culture that exploded around that. 
then into the stealth technology, black triangles, up until now with Tic Tacs and that, which is just advanced technology. Um, so it does make sense that maybe there is this non-human intelligence that is just mirroring our evolution as it happens. That's a really huge possibility. But then it could be related to the consciousness connection that we're you know, we're seeing what we have, you know, within us subconsciously and things like that. So it's a great point. Love, love speculating about it. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I'd love to know. I, I don't know. Is it one intelligence or is it multiple? You know, so many people have different views on that. Um, I, I lean more towards one. Or, or, or Yeah, Ooh. I do. I do. Ooh. Did you mean that in a like a hippie sense? Like we're all one anyway. Like <laughs> yeah, what do you mean by that? Yeah. I'll tell um, you what, no. one pound of Lincolnshire sausage for Dan right there. <laughs> yes. Now you're talking. I want my sausage, DJ. Wait, I shouldn't don't take that out of context. <laughs> I, I, I no, Dan, unfortunately I wasn't being hippie-ish. I was being um Literal. I just think that it's one group could be one group evolving as we evolve in what they show us. You know, I'm not saying that there aren't multiple intelligences out there that aren't related in any way. I'm just saying it just in that when we're looking at that evolution of craft and the way that it's changed and been perceived over the decades, that that's kind of a leading hypothesis. That's certainly the one that jumps out of me when you look at everything that's on the table in front of us at the moment. That's that's kind of it. Yeah. Could, hey. Does anyone mind if I ask Vinny a question here? Please. Sure. Oh, put me on the spot, dude. Uh, here we go. No, I mean... <laughs> course do it so we're, we're kind of in the area right now discussing how consciousness could influence a phenomena and and it's kind of it's making me think about because we went to Boleskine house and we spoke about crowley there and you yeah. and i had some i some conversations about jack parsons and where the ideas came from for him and and i kind of wanted to ask you if you think maybe there's a connection between kind of like where ideas come from and intuition and the phenomena that might be influencing us oh, jesus christ we're getting heavy now aren't we Woo. <laughs> so wait what is the actual question like do i think there's a connection but i guess I'll, I'll put it bluntly do, do you think the phenomena is feeding could be feeding us ideas yeah yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay. When you look at that specifically with Crowley and the magic, magic with a K, with a J and a K, you know, that one. Um, I think certain people that were into all that stuff back then were also tapping into like something related to the phenomena. And these were guys who were at the forefront of technological evolution as well. You know, when you look at JPL and all the things that Parsons was associated with. And I think there is some connection somewhere, you know. It seems that a lot of these people that were at the leading edge of, you know, technological evolutions and new new things, they, they all had some kind of insight or involvement with the occult. And then the occult, I think, the more we see and hear these days is that they're associated under the whole umbrella of what the phenomena could possibly represent or be a part of. So, yeah, again, it's all very speculative. And I'm I, I'm not I'm not a big one for speculation because I'm so data driven. But at the same time. You know, as long as people don't take what I'm saying when I speculate as gospel, and that's what I believe necessarily, then I'm happy discussing it. But Pre I think preface it, preface it. I well, mean, I, if, I, yeah, but dude, yeah, if I can't, I'll be caveating as much as I'm talking. <laughs> you know <what> I, mean? <laughs> I mean, why talk about the phenomena unless we're going to speculate? Because we don't know anything. I know. So, I mean, there's so much fun to speculate. That's, yeah. I, I just want to say that having Davey jump in here, this is kind of like 
uh, having Charlie Watts. He stopped at the chippy before he went back to the hotel. He got really sick. And then, oh, Keith Moon is right across the street at the other hotel. He's going to sit in with us tonight, guys. So basically the equivalent, you know, we lost Anna, but but Keith Moon is sitting in on the drums. Thank you, Davey. Yeah, thanks, David. Yeah. I appreciate really that. That's appreciate a great question. I had that conversation as well. I think on one of my interviews recently, and I've done so many, I can't remember which one. I think it was my science panel with Shadagis and Hoffman and, and those guys. I think we talked about the possibility of that evolution of objects and stuff. So it's great that it came up because it was just fitting in with things I've been discussing recently. So yeah. And, I'm and yet, and yet, and I, I, I just want to say an and yet, and yet. I, I believe that could that's possible what you that theory you posited, Dan, but and yet we have photos. I've seen photos of Tic Tac, videos of Tic Tac, and they have actual sighting out the window mark one eyeballs. So this is captured. So they couldn't have put that in my mind. They I, they've actually they've captured that. Yeah, but you understand that so, everything takes place in your mind. Yeah. So that's an electrical uh, signal. I right. can induce that in you with the right but, electromagnetic but, but there's field. Been, Right, but there's and, been and different ones. So there is the evidence would steer towards it actually looks like that when you have three, four, five different interpretations of it. So, but now I'm not saying what he's saying is impossible, but I'm saying it does not necessarily explain everything, is what I'm saying. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like I said, there's, or like Vinny said, this is a whole bunch of I don't know, and we're spinning the plates and just talking. Yeah. You, you so what's fun? Oh, that's why we're here. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, let's uh, let's keep going. I and mean, if we get some free time, we'll come back on that. I know that uh, that would be a lot of uh, fun conversation there. So next up, uh, let's see, will be will be Graham. OK, um, there's a famous saying about those who forget their history are condemned to repeat it. And then if you listen to the UAP, uh, UAP hearings the other week, you had uh, Ronald Miltry, who's the Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence, saying that you couldn't speak to programs before Blue Book. So. <laughs> Well, okay, here's a little quick potted history lesson in two minutes for you, and then I'll ask about you know, whether it's important that people know, you know the history of ufology rather than just concentrating on the current events. Uh, Project Grudge was the one before Bridge, uh, Blue Book, but Project Sign was the first one, and that was uh, established in December 1947, but didn't actually take place until June 48, uh, July, uh, January 48. It's came out with an interim report in April 48 of 100 cases, which had gone back to July 47. And it then got canned in December of that year because they weren't coming up with anything to explain things. Plus, the powers of B thought there was a Soviet explanation to what was going on. So they wanted to go down that particular route. And that's why Grudge was, uh, was, was set up because they wanted to push the kind of investigation in a slightly different direction. They weren't, you know, sort of believing that it was something possibly extraterrestrial or something exotic. Um, so, yeah, you know, we've got Blue Book, which did exactly the same thing in the end, you know, that they went through all this rigmarole and then got the point where oh, it's not worth it. We'll just give up. Uh, we can't see anything you know, worthwhile here. Is AIMSOG, this new thing that's, that they've got going, is it going to be the same, just the same thing? Are they just going to do it, go through the motions, and then go, you know what, there's nothing to this? It's a great question. Yeah, great question. All right, so Dan, we're going to get you first crack at that. So, I mean, this, this is a really interesting question, Graham, because we're seeing a lot of officials come into this now, and they, they all differ in how much of the history they know. And everyone in the community, I guess, feels differently as to which cases they should be familiar with. We've seen the Wilson documents get entered into the record, and they're kind of 
you you kind of have to be following the UFO community and the news to to even know about those. So that was really encouraging. But something that I've heard from a lot of people is that UAPTF or these hearings are the same as Blue Book. And, and I think there are some important distinctions between the two. And knowing the history, and like Graham said, the, the reason for the investigations being done, if you knew that, then you would know that the current place that we're in is, we've not been here before. This is different. We're, this is a whole new paradigm. I, I also see a lot of people kind of mixing up the, the Stephen Greer-led uh, National Press Club events as proper hearings. And they, they <laughs> weren't proper hearings. They right. were mock hearings. They weren't proper hearings. It would be great if we could get those kind of hearings in Congress or the House. Um, and, and I think something like that may be ahead of us. But it, it's really important for, for AIMSOG to shore up their data. And sure, if they don't know about Grudge or something like that, fine. But next time we hear from those guys, from Moultrie and Ray, we, we need to know that all of the the databases that have been established and worked before are a part of their data pile that they're looking at. Some of them are unsolvable just because of the time has passed and they, they've kind of lost that data now and probably different bits of testimony and people have passed away. But we should be familiarizing ourselves with the history just so we can solve the solvable cases, basically. Nice. Excellent. Davey? I love what you said there, Dan. And I think that the weight of that history will help prevent these hearings from being and you know the AIOMSG office from being what went before because we still have that legacy we're still carrying it although we're almost a generation beyond there I think that the position we're in now my heart says it could go exactly the same way but my head says I think there's enough weight behind this for it not to so very similar to what you said there Dan I I don't think it will go the way of, of Sign and Grudge and Blue Book simply because they they built the foundations for this to come from and there's enough people who around will go say, you're not going to do what you did to us with those again. Fantastic. Vinny? Two part, I've got two, two parts I can uh, sort of go with this. Uh, I'm going to save one part of it to my point because it kind of goes into what I want to talk about, which is the the importance of historical data and knowing your history with regards to the UFO subject. So I'll talk about things with regards to AIMSOG uh, and things like that. So going forward with AIMSOG, I hate the name. Um, I hated AOIMSG. That was a, always a, you know, a pain to say. But I think it depends going forward. Do we Are we going to see Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick taking the lead here? Now, I'm not going to say a lot, but I have a source who is very close to that gentleman. I've had conversations. Dan's aware of this as well. And I think that this is a guy that if he does lead AIMSOG, we're in good hands. I say we, the US, you know, but I see it as a global thing because they kind of lead the charge. I think that that would then go down the right path. You know, I know we know that under the current uh, status of what they're allowed to do they can't contract out but there's nothing stopping them from talking to the ufo community behind the scenes to get information and hopefully with someone like dr kirkpatrick then that might happen you know um i think that that could really be be a, a really big push for for the way that it's studied through official avenues you know 
So, yeah, I mean, we've heard the rumors that he's going to take over. I just I, I hope that it's true and I hope that we get something official soon. Uh, but to my other point, I'll, I'll, I'll wait for that for, for my topic, if that's OK. Yeah, well, fantastic feedback. Yeah, it does seem as if the stigma shifting, the fact that more folks can talk about it now freely, uh, in addition to the fact that we've got uh, scientists, academics, uh, the public at large, uh, really coming at this subject with a lot of attention. And I, I agree with uh, what others have said. The weight of history is really hard to ignore at this point. Um, I do think it's uh, it's a little bit I often come back to this idea, and I'd love to get thoughts on this too if we have some time, but the, the theatrical aspect of this entire journey, you know, it's, it's often as if, to me, it, it appears as if we are, you know, it's a drip drip, you know, it's like, hey, let's start with this. Oh yeah, Blue Book, uh, between Blue Book and ATIP, yeah, I don't really know much about it. Let's learn about that. Come along on this journey of discovery with me, everybody. Let's learn about these projects and programs that we knew nothing about. And it, it allows the public <laughs> and the government to sort of uh, collectively walk down this path together. I think those of us who've studied this a lot know that that's just a bunch of baloney uh, or bollocks or whatever. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that's a pretty good British word. Yeah, there yes. we go. Uh, but, you know, I'd love to get uh, general thoughts on that too. Maybe we'll come back on that. But to, to what degree is this entire process being somewhat managed or controlled uh, so it, i'll jump in nathan it, it would on. keep some of the egg off their face if they did it that way yeah exactly that, exactly yeah i mean i guess while i'm on screen i'll just jump in i think that that's a, you know it's great to play it slow and bring it in piece by piece but eventually congress aren't going to stand for it they're going to still like enough's enough like they want the answers let's look we realize that a lot of people that we're talking to especially Moultrie and Bray and that they're not read in or they certainly aren't knowledgeable let's just scrap all this and get to the get to the point get to the people the witnesses get the immunity the amnesty whatever you want to call it let's get that in we've kind of heard this week that it you know through people like Gary Nolan that it's 80 to 90 percent written behind the scenes they're almost ready to put it into action start calling the witnesses we'll see new hearings hopefully whether it be two weeks two months but it seems like it's happening so let's cut the bollocks and uh, get to it like <laughs> <laughs> um, i guess i'm just worried that um if you take the uap out of it you just call it politics when politicians seem to be reinventing the wheel it it tends to be perceived by the public the, the taxpayers and the media as being a waste of time so therefore you know we're knowledgeable about uap history and ufo history whereas the general public necessary aren't necessarily so and therefore if it comes down to a question of pressure from a much bigger slice of the population in the in the media is it going to be a case of look you've already done this you've done this how many times before you've got the same result every time but they're not aware of the nuances involved they're not aware of the history and it's therefore beholden of people to try and get that history out to people uh, to, the, to the, the majority of people watching this from outside otherwise we're just going to be a group of very insular people debating it and getting annoyed when we get the same result again. Hey, Grandma, you... one, one of the, I just want to say one thing. One of the things we have in our favor is metrics because every one of these congressional offices has a comm shop with these young staffers that have interns that are right out of college or right or, or still in college. And they all these topics that they want to know about, they're going and hitting up Twitter. How many hashtag yeah. UFO Twitter things? Oh, we had how many conferences? Uh, uh, how many how many viewers did they have on this conference like that they had this weekend? All these things I think that we're doing collectively 
are adding to the discussion in terms of being able to put pressure that it's politically expedient for them to at least have a look at it. Otherwise, Rubio and, and Gillibrand wouldn't be there. That's what I was going to say. We, you know, we saw the initial hearings coming through the House, but you know, there's talk of the Senate taking over and do, running some some of the the sessions coming up. And now, you know, talking about Rubio and Gillibrand, look at the people that we've had advising them in the past, especially with the amendments towards the end of last year. We got people like Chris Mellon, Lou Elizondo, who are, you know, I'm pretty sure they're in constant communication and advising 100%. them. They they're going to be giving them good information. They're not going to come in blind. They're going to come in like going, "Come on, put pressure on." I think that's a really big, big plus point. That too. That ad, but that that adds to it because it yeah. can't just. It couldn't just be Christopher and Lou. You have to have the the data and the metrics to back it Absolutely. up. They're the they're the biggest part of it. Without them, you have nothing. Sure. But with them plus uh, plus all this activity, they're seeing okay. There's something. There's a there there that we yeah. need to look at. Yeah, for real. All right. Well, Vinny, let's go ahead and get your topic going. Um. Well, look, this is the British invasion, so I wanted to kind of keep it British. <laughs> I wanted to talk about the importance of what has happened in the past here in Britain, and we're talking about the the UFO studies in the past. You know, the big thing that I think a lot of people know about is the 2000 Condine Report, which was done by Ron Haddo. You know, that was probably the best report on UFOs, probably globally, that we've ever had when we're looking at meat, you know, depth and detail. But then, you know, the people in DI-55 that Ron Haddo was a part of have been studying this since the mid-60s. You know, we hear about SEC-AS and the, and the uh, Secretariat Air staff, people like Nick Pope. But I think it, it's important to know, if you want to know historically, in the UK especially, that the work was done by DI-55. And we were having document releases right up until mid-2013, and it seems to have gone dark since then. So... I suppose my last point is that I'll speculate that I, I firmly believe that somewhere within defense intelligence in the UK, they're still actively looking at this, this subject. So it's not really a question to put to everyone, but it's an importance of knowing your history here in the UK, but anywhere in any country. So I guess, you know, if anyone can talk on that, go for it. Dan. Cool. So when, when the guys talk about this, it always makes me think, especially because we met in London the first time, and this is kind of where we started talking. It, it makes it takes me back to thinking about how Britain kind of taught the US and, and a lot of other places spycraft and, and how to do all that, how to keep a secret. That's right. And I think about how widespread the crown was, you know, how how widespread the British were. And there's no way in hell that the British don't have a long record of tracking this in whatever form it's going to be i don't know if people know but within london there is a separate place called the city of london and that place has its own laws it has its own finances it has its own everything we don't vote for the person that runs that um so i think it's worth remembering that the uk is kind of it's built on money money makes the world go round if there's going to be somewhere that they've been tracking this for years and years and years you know decades 70 80 years you know it would make sense to me that it would be somewhere that looked after global securities and things like that so i i yeah the the british stuff is very important because it, it doesn't get covered enough i think that there's there's kind of a a a pip pip version of indiana jones there with the with the ufo subject Love it. Davey, what's your thought on that? 
just to bring this home to what Dan said there about being truly British, there are only two com- 22 countries on this planet that the UK hasn't attempted or successfully invaded. <laughs> so when you talk about the scale of the crown, absolutely everywhere. Yeah. Um, and exactly as you said, Dan, we taught the rest of the world spycraft. The Enigma machines were decoded here. And we didn't tell anybody else we decoded them. And after the Second World War, we sold them to our allies, not having told them we decoded them, but sold them to our allies so that we could monitor our allies because they still believed they were encryptable. So I am absolutely convinced that there's been a long, long history of investigations into the, the phenomenon in the UK. And I had the pleasure of meeting with Gordon Crichton many years ago in the 1990s, the former editor of Flying Saucer Review, long and distinguished career in the intelligence community around the world, despite some of his unusual views. Um, And he said to me then, we just don't tell anybody. Doesn't anybody else get how secrecy works? You can't have freedom of information and secrecy. It's a contradiction in terms. And and as you said, the, the Condine Report, probably the best governmental official document ever on the top and it stopped short of saying anything and again it's remit wasn't to say what it was it's remit was to say is this a military threat yeah and if they don't know they don't know but yeah i'm convinced that in the the higher echelons and the the hidden chambers this is something that the british government knows more about than probably anywhere else on the planet hence their reluctance to talk about it with others and we hear Lou say some of our partners won't talk to us about it. Yeah, you're damn right they won't. And the, the SOE, I mean, the CIA tracks directly back to Britain and the SOE. I mean, they, you know, they developed the spycraft and it, basically the self-defense, the, everything that they did basically came from the SOE in, in Britain. So you guys are amazing at that. Just like the Delta Force comes from the SAS. So. Oh, fantastic. Graham. Yeah, well, um, the OSS, which was the forerunner of the CIA, they were taught by the British um, all, all they knew, basically, uh, during mm-hmm. the Second World War. So that, there's one thing straight away. Yes, we invented effectively spycraft. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we sort of you know taught other, other countries, especially America, how to do this. Um, yeah, I've got no doubt that, that somewhere there is a small cell of intelligence operators looking at what's going on. You know, how widespread in terms of links with other countries, I, I couldn't say. But yes, we will have something looking at it. They, Even though the public mantra is there is nothing of defense significance and has been for fi- or has not been for 50 years, they would be daft not to look at it. Not just as the Americans are not, you know, publicly not entirely taking it seriously as if, yes, we know there's a problem, um, you know, until recently. But certainly I think they're looking at it and going, we're not entirely sure what's happening, but we know there's something going on and we still need to study it. Or they've cracked it in terms of we know what's happening, but we just can't do anything about it. And it might be that as well, because as Lou says and other people have said, intelligence agencies around the world, the last thing they want to do is tell people that we we can't do anything about what's happening. And, you know, that the countries are always very, very cagey about their lack of capability in terms of dealing with threats to the countries concerned. So who knows where this, the UAP issue, falls on that particular scale. 
but it would be remiss of any country with a developed um, intelligence network and a developed defense network not to take this seriously and not to investigate it fully. Yeah, I get it. Amen. Absolutely. And I mean, that that to me is really the the issue. I think that there's enough knowledge that they know what the capabilities are. But as you said, Graham, they have no capability to actually control it. Uh, you know, it's one thing to say, hey, we're being visited by extraterrestrials <laughs> and we can give them a passport just like we can give you one and we can monitor when they're coming and going in our country. There's nothing to say, hey, there's interdimensional beings that can appear inside your bedroom and we really don't know when that's going to happen. So sleep tight at night, everybody. Uh, just let us know if you have an experience <laughs> yeah. here so you can report it to. I mean, that, you know, it's it's, it's just very difficult for countries to control the, the narrative there without, in my opinion, some additional resource being, for example, some group that is a part of whatever this phenomenon happens to be coming out of the shadows and then more uh, publicly working with our world governments and saying, yeah, hey, we're, we are from so-and-so and we can do this and we're going to share some knowledge with you and we're going to partner with you. And here's what you can do in these certain situations. The fact that we haven't had worldwide disclosure, in my opinion, hints very strongly at we're not at that point yet. We're not at that point where we either, either can have that kind of collaboration uh, or, uh, you know, maybe the, the beings just aren't they're, they're ne never going to do it. Maybe we've never had that kind of interaction or relationship with them. We just know that they can do what they do. And we're just going to have to deal with the fact that they are part of our reality and there's not much we can do about it. Can I just come back on that as well, Nathan? You just wonder how big these groups are that are looking at it in secret because they can't be that big. Otherwise, they would be known. You know, yep. it's they've got to be a certain size. They're going to be a certain size. Otherwise, if you, the more people you bring in, the less likely it is to be able to keep it secret. So there can only be very, very small cells of, of operators and intelligence and, and analysts. Otherwise, you know, they, they blow the gaff on them straight away. Well, yeah, you, you look you, at Ron Haddo, the author of sorry, DJ. Look at Ron Haddo, the author of the Condine report. You know, his name didn't come out for years and years after the report was produced. You know, there are couple of sources who were active in DI-55 through the 90s leading up to the Condine report that have been spoken to um but they are they, they they will not speak they will not come out they you know they yeah they're, they're so secretive you know it just adds to the point of the secrecy the funny thing that I find is that they majorly uh, or they seem to go into the aerospace industry which is always raises uh, an eyebrow you know mm. but it, it, going on to the kind of a, a lot of the points there is that there's one group of people that doesn't want to look inept and would rather stay quiet it's the british <laughs> you know <laughs> well I, I i sent i sent nathan in uh, something that the air force put out the other day i don't know if you watched that but but as part of that video it said we dominate the skies we own the skies now everybody on this panel today knows that that's not true but that's what they want you to believe. So if that doesn't answer the question of why the Air Force doesn't want to come out and talk about this, whether we agree with that or not, because we don't agree with that, uh, that's why. Second of all, I would say there, if you're looking at a level of difficulty of telling somebody something exists or telling them something does not exist, your level of effort, you, your line of effort, is much larger to tell somebody something does exist than doesn't. Now, here's an example. Joe Rogan, who spent two freaking hours 
or more with Dave Fravor has on um, uh, what's that guy's name? Lex Fridman the other day. And they talked about the whole David Fravor and Tic Tac thing. And Joe went about systematically trying to take apart everything that Dave Fravor told him to talk about drones. It's our technology. It's Chinese. Oh, I saw this drone do this. I saw this Chinese drone do that. It took off like this. It moved like that. And the reason they do that is because I can be comfortable when I can do that. I don't want to be out of my comfort zone. As soon as you tell me I don't know, now I'm upset. Now I'm ugh, I'm uncomfortable because I just don't know. <laughs> right. <laughs> but if I can say I know, we're good. That's ah, probably the Chinese. So what's the whole point of Joe Rogan doing that when he sat there with Bob Lazar, sat there with Corbell and George Knapp, and then sat there with Dave Fravor, who who gave him all the data that they picked up on this thing, and his eyewitness count for between he and his wingman. So anyway, that's that's why it's a lot easier to tell people. Uh, oh, Area 51? Ass. It's nothing there. It's funny because you say that because everyone has always been, you know, really pushing for why isn't Lou Elizondo going on Joe Rogan? Like, I mean, yeah, we'd love to see it, but you really think Joe's going to get something out of it that no, no. one else has? <laughs> no, of course not. not. I mean, so yes, it would look great. It'd be great to get the subject out to a massive, you know, group of people just sure. for the for the reach that Joe Rogan has. But People think, get him on Rogan, like we're going to suddenly get something new. I mean, come on, man. There's no realistic thoughts there. Yeah, because he's going to sit there and he's going to debate Lou and he's going to go, yeah, but really this, he's going to do that whole thing because he's going to play to his audience like he does now. He's become a totally different dude in like the last four years. So now I kind of like just pinch yourself. A, a more useful use of Lou's time would be to free him of that NDA and just get him in the Senate and testify. That, that would be the way to go. And, and I think oh, we, yeah. we'd start seeing some, or hearing some revelations then. Yeah, well, maybe we can uh, transition the, to the end of the show here with what do we think probability-wise uh, that is going to happen this year? Uh, ooh. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go for a, a solid 77%. I, I like my repeating <laughs> numbers. And nice. um, yeah, I... I can see it happening. You, you look at Gillibrand, Rubio, everyone like that. They they know who Lou is. They've seen, you know, there's no debate over whether he ran ATIP or something like that. It's it's just clear what the, the work he was doing was. They all know he's familiar. And if they want to, I guess, get to the bottom of it, then they're going to have to get him on in, in to testify. We, we should have the IG report soon. Uh, the Inspector General report from the DOD about their handling of UAP and their handling of Lou. So I'm hoping off the bat of that, they'll pull him into the hearings, give him immunity and freedom of the shackles, and and it's go, go, go. Nice. In closed session. Yeah, do it in open session as well. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm, I'm, you're saying what we want. I'm telling you what I think they're going to do. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's not going to be an open session. All right, Graham, what do you think? Possibility there? Um, possibilities. Heart says 90%, head says 50%. Um, because I think it's like it's not entirely, you know, guaranteed that um you know they would ask him. Um, it might be the, the fact that the forces in the background that Luke keeps talking about who who don't want disclosure uh might work against it somehow and, and prevent him, you know, from whatever reason from being able to to appear. 
Who knows what ramifications might happen if it's suddenly suggested somewhere that, yes, there's a possibility that he might uh, testify or Chris Mellon might testify, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, you know, you, you just don't know what, what is, might happen in the background. But, yeah, I'd love to see it. Nice. Davey, what do you think? I would absolutely love to see it, but I'm a cynic. And I'm, I say it's cynicism born of experience of so many years in this blessed phenomenon that <laughs> I can't see it happening this year. Give it next year. And I would also throw back, would any of his existing commercial and professional requirements or um, where he's currently working or might or might not be working have any impact on the possibility of him appearing there yet? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. Um, and there's a little, you know, there's not as much clarity, I guess, right now about what he is doing there. Uh, I think there's a lot of uh, well-informed speculation that he is still on the payroll, uh, on specifically whose payroll. Um, I don't think we can uh, definitively say. Uh, but I mean, the DOD payroll it, or a it, private contract? Yeah, I, I, either or. Um, so oh, contractor, yeah, DOD, no, I don't think. Yeah, I guess we'll see. Um, and so, uh, you know, but to what extent is that is his current involvement with the topic become more publicly discussed, you know, in addition to having him come forward? It's one thing to say, hey, we've got the former director of ATIP here testifying. It's another thing to say, we have the former director of ATIP who is now doing XYZ for the government. Do we think that that's going to be uh, revealed or or not. I think as well, we need to, you know, I appreciate Davy's cynicism because we've had so many years of it, but we've then again, we've never seen the subject pushed into the mainstream through the Congress or anything like this ever before. So we are in, in different times. And then we've got to remember that there are two ways it can go. They could work through current, current employees of the government and the military branches to get testimony from them. So whether we're talking pilots who have witnessed things, maybe they'll go that route before they get to ex-employees, you know. Maybe they'll skip that and they'll subpoena people like Lou before before long. So there's two directions, both kind of positive, one slower than the other. Yeah, I'd like to see Lou subpoenaed, you know, given immunity or amnesty, whatever it's called, and just let him let it all out. So I think we'll see it this year. I think the momentum's going to keep up. I think if the next hearing is, is soon, then they'll keep putting them through the House and the Senate, maybe alternate. I don't know. We're, they, they're going to start assembling the, the next NDAA soon. So we should see some legislation being written, some wording being wrangled into shape. Maybe the, the Astro name will come back in for the office. I'm hoping please, so. I'll do that name. Um, so once we get there, I, I think that will be before Christmas and we'll be looking at something probably signed over Christmas again. Um, and yeah, the, we will hopefully have hearings before that because I think the hearings could inform the language that goes into, into the next set of legislation. Mm. Nice. I think I think they were gonna. There's gonna be more that will come out. Uh, someone will be more likely to speak if they're a not still a member of the military or b not a member of the Department of Defense on their payroll. That will lead to somebody talking. I don't think Lou is one of those people that is on the DoD payroll, uh, and that would free him up to say a lot more, especially with immunity from his uh, the NDA that he signed and whatever legalese is in there. And by the way. Uh, Frank and I did an episode with uh, Lampy, who is an attorney that works with the government, uh, and yesterday to talk about what immunity is and so on. It's, and amnesty is not a legal term, but immunity is. Oh, nice. I'll check that so, out. So, yeah, Good job, we, man. That's really cool. 
Hey, man. He said, you know, he wanted to talk about it. I said, well, I happen to know somebody on UFO nice. Twitter. It's a lawyer. So anyway. Makes sense. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so, yeah, we discussed that. And, and I think that would free people like Lou and Christopher up to talk because they're not they don't currently have someone over top of them that is holding their career in the balance from the DOD. Yeah. Well, guys, I hate to uh, kind of break this off. This has been a really amazing time. This last, uh, geez, almost two hours. Um, really enjoyed our conversations. Uh, we do the accent vote for this group too. I don't yeah! Know and, <laughs> yeah! Co-hosts, I don't know how this works. Yeah, who's got the, okay. Who has the coolest accent in this group as voted by you? By me? No, you meaning the uh, our British yeah. guests. Yeah, Whew, I'm gonna oh. go with Dave. I'm gonna go with Davey. <laughs> Dan, wait. Can you all see the the quick brown fox jumped over the fence for me? Let's go around the room. <laughs> Thine quick brown fox. <laughs> <laughs> Vinny said it first, so Vinny's getting my vote. Like <laughs> Vinny's got a great one, Graham. Oh, they're all good. Um, as long as they don't, as long as they're not Smoggies or or, or Mackums, they're fine. <laughs> I don't know what those are, but it sounds bad. Uh, we, did, uh, we didn't get. We got nothing definitive. They voted. Okay, in case you didn't watch, they voted Christopher Sharp on the last one. Uh, everybody, Christopher got everybody's vote. I think even Smethers. So, I'd have gone with Smethers. My, my vote Seth, does he? Yeah. My my vote <laughs> on this one's got to go with Graham because my grandparents were from the northeast. And, oh, uh, hey, yeah. My, my wife, my wife's from Yorkshire, so yeah. You're oh, well, there we are. So. We'll up on this. <laughs> I, 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 I will it, just man. pour out that I think the star of the show by far is uh, Christopher Sharp's son. He he was <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. We gotta oh, get man. him on officially. I, I, so uh, I can't re- thank you guys enough. It was an honor to have you guys on again. Like I said earlier, you know how much I have an absolute love affair with the UK. Everybody knows that Nathan, I found out does as well. So oh, Nathan, what do you want to say to the Rolling Stones? The Rolling Stones before yeah. they go. <laughs> uh, listen, guys, had a wonderful time. Uh, really want to do this again. I mean, geez, it makes me so happy that we've got this kind of community. And uh, as I was watching things take place in Vernal, seeing some of the folks that we all see on these uh, content platforms, meeting in person and collaborating, regardless of what you think about whatever they're doing at these these symposiums, which I think there's some good stuff there. We can all agree that it's really exciting to see these connections, these human connections happening. And I look forward to meeting some of you guys in person uh, over the next few weeks uh, when yes. I'm in the UK. Yeah. So let's make time. that happen. Yeah. Can't yep. wait, brother. Can't We're going to do it. And I'm still looking for uh, my date for uh, when my simulator gets delivered to Milden Hall, which it looks like is going to be, uh, it'll be delivered in August. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to be there either for the on-site acceptance or maybe for the testing with the crew after it's up and running probably both but uh but yeah i'll definitely connect with you guys uh when we do and make sure i take appropriate leave so uh it was an honor as far as who won the beatles or the stones i think we won meaning the show <laughs> just uh, nathan sure and i to, to get yeah. to speak with all of you uh, I, uh come on the audience won <laughs> I, that's right yeah that's what i mean i mean everybody won who got to who got to listen to you uh it's just uh uh, to, to have all of you here because all of you are just so bright and so incisive and so well read on this topic and studied 
and uh, it is an honor to interact with each one of you in the different, uh, uh, whether we're on the phone or, or on Twitter. And, um, and so on behalf of, of Nathan and, and Calling All Beings, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thank you, brother. So Nathan for the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and my brother Nathan, <laughs> this is DJ saying peace out, one love, peace and out. we'll see you down the road. We're always wondering what's up around the bend. Peace.